Bibles to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. We will look at several passages this morning. This is the main text for us, the launching text. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. had a page number and I lost it. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would be with us this morning to help us as we hear your word. Help us love it as you know that it needs to convict our hearts. We pray that you would help us accept it, be honest about ourselves, that we might be healed, forgiven, helped. God, in some ways we are tired and weary. We lack strength, we lack hope. We pray that you would help by your word. Give us strength to persevere in faithful things, fighting sin, glorifying you, seeing others saved. We pray that you would do these things by your spirit through preaching and the hearing of your word now in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Essentially, our sermon has two parts this morning. One is that your life flows from your heart. From your heart flow the springs of your whole life. That's part one. Part two is therefore keep it with all vigilance. Keep it with all vigilance. I've already switched it. Did you hear it? It's vigilance, not vigilance. I don't know what vigilance means, but if I say that again, know that I mean vigilance. From our hearts flow the springs of our life. Our life, everything that we do, everything that we say, everywhere we go, is lived out from the heart. Our heart is like the motherboard in a computer. Everything in our lives is processed there. Whatever is produced comes from there. The heart is the center of every man and every woman. And when the heart is the center of the king, the heart is the center of the kingdom. The heart is the center of your house, your work, your marriage. Think about the centrality of the heart in the book of Deuteronomy. Page 155 in your house Bibles, you can turn to Deuteronomy chapter 10. As Israel is on their way into the promised land, God references the heart several times in very critical ways. As you heard this morning from the pastoral prayer, we see this back in Deuteronomy chapter 10. 
The Lord demands not only outward religious adherence, He demands the heart from His people. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 23 to 24. And now, Israel, what does the Lord God, your God, require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul? Keep the commandments and the statutes of the Lord, which I'm commanding to you today for your good. That is what the Lord is asking of you. He is demanding the heart of His people. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15 through 18, page 172 in your house Bibles. And see... How the trouble will be the heart turning away, the critical issue for Israel. On the other side of the Jordan, in the promised land, will be, will their heart stay with the Lord or not? Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15 through 18. See, I have set before you today life and death, good or sorry, life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in His ways, and by keeping His commandments and His statutes and His rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going in over the Jordan to enter and possess. As they were about to go into the promised land that God had promised to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and then to Joshua, the Lord tells His people, Love me with all of your heart. Do not let your heart turn away. I want you to see how central the heart is in the decades and centuries to come for Israel. And how it actually is the heart that gives way. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11 page 291 in your house Bibles. 1 Kings chapter 11. And let me just get us from Deuteronomy crossing the Jordan to the promised land. God saved His people from Egypt's slavery. He was bringing them into their own land, which He would get for them. Crossing into the land, we find ourselves in the book of Judges. They begin to move the Canaanites out of the land by fighting them with God's power. And during that time, we have the time of the Judges. You see the book of Judges in your Bible. That is a time period in which Israel was ruled by Judges. There was no king in the land at that time. Then in the books of First and Second Samuel, Israel is established in the land by David's warfare, their enemies are finally defeated. And then in the book of First Kings, the kingdom, the, the kingship, passes from David the king to Solomon the king. 
And there's a moment when the people are in the land that God had promised Abraham and Moses and Joshua, and here they are in the land with Solomon as king. And I've been testing this sentence for the last several weeks in my own mind and in our study in 1 Kings on Wednesdays and Fridays, and I think it is a fair sentence to say that 1 Kings chapter 11, 1 Kings 10, I guess you should say, 1 Kings 10 equates the closest the kingdom of heaven came to be developed on the earth since the Garden of Eden. This is the closest heaven as a set-up kingdom has ever been on the earth since Adam and Eve and me and you were sent out of the garden because of our sin. Let me explain what I mean. As you go through 1 Kings chapter 1 through 10, you will find Israel is at its crescendo as a nation. It is peaking in every way. Solomon becomes king, and immediately Solomon removes all remaining internal opposition. There's a run on the throne. Solomon cleans that up pretty quickly when he becomes king. There is peace within. Because of David, there is peace without. Now, enemies are challenging Israel at this time. They are wealthy beyond imagination. The kingdom of Israel is wealthy beyond comparison. There is gold there, just like in the Garden of Eden. Go back and read it. And facts, we don't have time to do it today, but if you would like a study for this afternoon, go back and read Genesis chapter 2 and 1 Kings chapter 6, the establishment of the temple, and just see how many things you can find that are the same. There is wealth beyond their imagination, gold, river, trees, resources. Nations are not just warring with them. They are coming to Israel for Solomon's wisdom because Solomon has been given God's wisdom. The prophetic fulfillment of David is there in Solomon. There's a son of David on the throne. The people of Abraham have multiplied as God promised would happen to Abraham. First Kings 4.20 says, Judah and Israel were as many as the sand by the sea. But most importantly, there's the temple. Solomon builds the temple that David wanted to but would not be allowed. Most signifying that Israel is now in a time of, I'm going to paraphrase, the new garden of Eden. Solomon builds the temple, and this is what you'll find in 1 Kings chapter 6, that that temple is decorated purposefully, intentionally, to remind you of the Garden of Eden. It is covered with gold. Why? Because the Garden of Eden was filled with gold. It's got trees and vines all over it. Why? Because it represents the garden. There is a process to go through the temple to get to the middle, and what is in the middle of the temple? God where God said he would come dwell, just like he said that he would dwell with Adam and Eve. Jerusalem 
and the temple are functioning like the new Garden of Eden where God is with his people, only now he's redeemed them from their slavery in Egypt. He's given them a way to be forgiven for their sins by sacrifices through faith. Everything is good. All of this is a copy of the Garden of Eden. God with them. No enemies without. No enemies within. They're rich. They have everything they could ever imagine. A land flowing with milk and honey. And then we come to 1 Kings chapter 11. Look with me at 1 Kings chapter 11 and read what happens next. After this moment, when Solomon dedicates the temple, God fills the temple, smoke fills the temple, God is in Jerusalem. He's dwelling with his people. Everything's wonderful. 1 Kings chapter 11. Here's what happens exactly next chapter. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of of Pharaoh, all that way from Egypt, and we're married to a daughter of Pharaoh. Not only Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women. These have complex relationships with, hist- with Israel in their history. From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after other gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart. You might want to count how many times this word is repeated. His heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. Meaning David never worshipped idols. He wasn't perfect, but he never went after idols. Solomon went after the Asheroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, who likes to sacrifice children, the abomination of the Ammonites, the mountain east of Jerusalem. One of our brothers noticed this Friday in our Bible study, east of Jerusalem. Which way were we sent out of the garden? East. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifice to their gods. Verse 9. And the Lord was angry. The Lord was angry with Solomon. Because his heart had turned away From the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. (laughs) Once to give him wisdom in a dream, second time at the temple. And God had commanded Solomon concerning this thing, what he was doing, that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. 
Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear down the kingdom from you and I will give it to your servant. And from here forward, the entire kingdom takes the spiraling, spiraling trajectory toward its destruction on earth. One layer after another from 1 Kings 11 to the end of 2 Kings, idolatry, 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 until the Lord destroys that very temple and takes everyone out into Babylon. The entire kingdom depended on Solomon's heart. And he failed to worship God with his whole heart. Everything was lost because the king's heart was not wholly true to the Lord, his God. Do you see the centrality of the heart in the life of men? And in the kingdom of God. How could the kingdom be taken away because the king's heart went after other gods? I would hope that if nothing else this morning to get you from one step closer to coming to Christ or one step farther down the road in spiritual maturity, you would avail yourself of the vain idea that if I could just be put in a perfect place, everything would be fine. How foolish we are. And we do it every day. We say this stuff every day. If this weren't like this, this would be fine. If they weren't like that, if our country wasn't like that, if my spouse was not like that, what? Would it be so much better? They had it like that. Solomon had it like that. No internal enemies, no outward enemies, wealth. Gold, power, wisdom, food, rest. He had what we think will make us better. And it didn't. It didn't do it in the garden. And it didn't do it in the earthly echo of the garden either. This is why I think it's so fun to listen to people talk about populating other planets. What do they think we're going to do there? What are we going to do? Set up a garden? Make a perfect planet? No, because we're going to go. You're going to go. We're... It's the same thing. Avail yourself of the vain idea. The greatest problem is out there in the world and not in you. 
done in us. How have you reacted to the crisis of any suffering in your life? That's your heart responding to suffering. What have you done with your free time? That's your heart. What about the thoughts that no one else knows? That's your heart. Just consider that all the, the, the time that you are doing anything every day, there are two spheres where life is happening. One is everything outside the heart. Even your own mouth is outside your own heart. Your ears are outside your own heart. Your boss is outside your own heart. Everything is external to you and to your heart. And that, that's one sphere of reality for you, outside your heart. The other sphere, if you will, is, is your heart, the, the inside. You. What makes you you? Your, your heart, your wants, your loves, your affections, your pains, your sorrows, your, your, your praise, your, your heart. And your entire life is defined by your heart on the inside relating to everything that's on the outside. And so often, we keep a very, very close, surgical, inspective look at everything on the outside. How's my spouse doing today? Well, I've been keeping record. She ain't doing great. I got a lot of things I'm angry about. How's your boss doing? Oh, don't even get me started. Don't shake your head, Cal. I, I saw that. Give really, really close tabs, a good record of the outside. And it is so easy to neglect and ignore the inside. And yet, our lives are lived out from our hearts. Every conversation with your spouse or your boss, or your neighbor, is a heart-to-heart. -heart. It's always a heart-to-heart. -heart. You ever have someone say, hey, let's get together and have a heart-to-heart? -heart? You ever have your spouse say, we need to do, it's DTR in my, my day, defining relationship, but we need, let's have a heart-to-heart. -heart. Let's have our hearts talk to each other. Our hearts are always talking to each other. We might not know. And I know what always is deep down in there. Very aware of the world around us, but we don't look too much at our hearts. And I want to plead with you to watch your heart. I want to plead with you to look inside more. I want you to look at Solomon's life in the moment of the kingdom and the perfection that he was in and the destruction that followed because his heart was not wholly dedicated to the Lord his God. This is why the heart is the center of man, and so it makes sense that the heart is the center of what God commands. God does not want to command part of you or the external part of you. He is not only commanding your mouth, not only commanding your feet, not only commanding your eyes, so that your heart could be one way, but your mouth and your hands and your feet, they could all be doing different things. 
You could be one way in your heart, but in your, in your life, you could go to church, you could do things, you could say this, and, and you could be good, and you will, you will be meeting God's praise because you're doing all those things. God does not want only those things. He commands the heart. He's not foolish. He knows man. He sees the heart, as we saw last week. I want you to know the hope that we have in Jesus Christ for our hearts. Our hope is not just that Jesus would externally forgive us for external sins. That he would justify us in some court somewhere for sins that we have done outside of our inward selves. The gospel is for your heart. For our very hearts. Our sinful, wicked hearts. There are two ways that Christ saves us. One, I think you could maybe, I don't know if this is fair, but one you could put in that outer sphere, the other in the inward. Two ways that Christ saves us from the penalty we deserve for our own hearts and for our exclusion from his kingdom as Solomon. The first one is the heart of Christ himself. The heart of Christ himself. Our first hope for salvation is not that we would have better hearts. Our first hope for salvation is not necessarily even that we would get new hearts. Our first hope for salvation is that Jesus has a heart, holy, truly, dedicated, unswerving to the Lord in worship and obedience and righteousness, that he is the king that Adam could never be. He is the king that Solomon couldn't be in the earthly recreation of the garden. Couldn't do it. His heart turned away. Here's the gospel to, you, to us, okay? Listen. One day we're going to go to heaven. If you're trusting and believing and following Jesus Christ, one day we'll be in heaven. And you know what? That will be the most secure kingdom in the entire existence of eternity, forwards and backwards. Why? Because Jesus' heart will wholly, forever, be given to the Lord. We will never have a king fail us. We will never have a king whose heart turns away from the Lord. Not our king, not our kingdom, not ever. He has risen from the grave, never to die again. He is God he is dependable, he is faithful, he is righteous. Before we start thinking about what needs to happen in us and to us, we rec- need to recognize that in the redemptive history, Jesus is the king that we need. Before you start comparing yourself to Solomon, this has been so encouraging to me, realize if we were in the history of Israel, we're like, you know, 10,000 10, rows of tents away from the temple. <laughs> we're in some distant tribe over some six mountains. We're, we're not Solomon. God's not trying to get you to be Solomon. God has someone to take Solomon's place. It's another son of David. And it's Jesus. He's the king whose heart will never turn away from the Lord. He was tempted in every way, Hebrews said. But no sin was found in him. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, does it just take the pressure off you and your heart? 
You couldn't do it. God's not, God's not disappointed with you that your heart failed. He is not shocked. <laughs> That's the glory of Jesus Christ. He's a king whose heart never fails. And that king died for our sins and rose from the grave. We can be forgiven of our sins forever. So the first gospel to us is the heart of Christ the king. The second part of the gospel for us is that we have new hearts in Christ. That we would be given new hearts in Christ. God has been working in the Bible through covenants from the beginning to the very end. The covenant was made with David, covenant with Moses, covenant with Abraham. And all those covenants came to fruition right there in Solomon and Solomon gave way. You could pretty much summarize the entire Bible like this. Man sinned, so they were removed from the garden in the presence of God. First Kings chapter 11, God had done all this work beginning with Abraham to get the garden back in place, get a situation where he was dwelling and man was there, and then man's heart fails again. Everything's perfect, but we realize even if we're in the perfect place, we still have a problem on the inside. And the prophets come along at this time after Solomon has died, and we go king after king after king, and they're taken into exile, and God says, okay, that old covenant could have never done everything we needed to do. I have a new covenant for you. And the new covenant, according to Ezekiel and Jeremiah, is what? I am going to put my spirit in you, God says. I am going to take away your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh that beats. I'm going to give you a new heart. We call it conversion. We call it being born again. This time, I'm not going to build a kingdom around kind of sinful people. I'm going to build the kingdom from the inside out. The covenant starts with the heart of man. And then we go to a place to be with our king forever. You find yourself struggling with sin? You find yourself wondering what it means to be a Christian, to trust God, to believe the Bible? This is it. To believe that Jesus is the faithful king of God who died for his people, but also to recognize what you need is not just to be judicially forgiven, but actually be given a new heart too. And that's the promise of the new covenant. That's the promise of Christ. That if you come put your faith in Christ by his spirit, we are given new hearts. Like he was raised from the dead, our souls are raised to new life. To walk in righteousness. That's the salvation for us. It is in the heart, both the heart of Christ and new hearts for us. Well, if the gospel is so central to the heart, if God's demands for worship are so central to the heart, let us listen to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance. All of life springs from the heart. Our worship, our relationships, all of our Words out of, out of our mouth. Everything we do comes from the heart. So here's what I want to encourage you to do today according to Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all vigilance. 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 I think this is just maybe the Lord's kindness to make you never forget this sermon this week. He just kept saying vigilance. Keep your heart with all Vigilance. That means guard it, watch it, protect it. 
And don't stop watching it, guarding it, and protecting it. Keep your heart with, with vigilance. Keep it up. Stay up all night and all night watch. Some of us are in a little pity party thinking that what we really need is relief from all of the external pressure in life. I saw a new television series starting. It interested me because it was filmed and, and it's taking place in Hong Kong. And in the spot for, or the, the trailer for the series, you just have a, a woman who's having some sort of difficulty. I don't even know what's all going on. And the main scene in the trailer is just one woman saying to another woman, don't you just wish that you could have a different life and go to an island and drink tea, or I don't remember what she said. And Proverbs is telling us, we'll be careful. The Bible is telling us, we'll be careful. You, you don't only need a new external reality, we do, but watch your heart. Keep your heart with vigilance. There's a book that Colette and I have been reading, can't say nightly, but every other night or so recently. It's called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. It's from the 1600s by a Puritan named Thomas Brooks. Thomas Brooks takes one device of Satan at a time. And then he gives remedies for how to encounter Satan's devices. And I didn't know what I was getting into when I picked it up. I should have known. To read one Puritan book, you should be warned. But I didn't realize how systematic and painful and helpful and thorough you could be. 37 devices of Satan. Let me just think about that fact alone. That's one thing I'm sitting on right now as we read this. This man came up with 32 devices of Satan, and then there is a bonus, five extra devices just to think about at the end. 37, I thought, I just don't think I could name 37 separate individual devices. Maybe I haven't been watching my heart as carefully as I thought. Maybe I have not been aware, as aware of what is happening to my heart by Satan every day. That he has devices that he is using every single day. And according to Thomas Brooks, at least 37 of them. And I didn't even know there were that many. Maybe I need to be more careful. Be more cautious about guarding my heart. You ever take inventory of something? I used to work at Lifeway Christian Bookstores in Temple, Texas, which is, all of those are, are now closed. And to be honest with you, I'm not that sad. You can come ask me about that later. It's fine. But we used to have to take inventory. 
which means we, we sometimes we might close the store even a little early that afternoon, and uh, our manager would order pizza and ice cream for for the for the staff, and we'd all stick around to take inventory. And the rule was we were going to be there until we were done. Sometimes that would be, you know, late into the night. Inventory meant going to count everything in the store. And my main goal, the one or two or three times that I did it, was to not be given the Beth Moore section. Because there were so many. And they're all by the same author. It's terrible. We counted pieces of chocolate on the front counter. We counted the t-shirts. We had to find books that people have taken from one section and moved it to another section. So we don't know if it's missing or if it's somewhere else. We have to count candles. We just count, 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 count. It took a lot of vigilance (laughs) and pizza and ice cream and coffee. Just counting and taking and making sure. And this is the kind of attention that saw the Proverbs authors trying to get us to think about. Be this kind of careful. Don't just open the door and look in your heart and go, looks like there hasn't been a major theft. So, no, you go in, you look, you guard every section, every corner, every part of your heart. Do with vigilance. Four ways to be careful and vigilant about your heart. Number one, be vigilant to keep God's word in your heart. Be vigilant to keep God's word in your heart. Let's go back to Proverbs chapter 4, where we, very, we begin. And just look at the context of the verses before our verse in 23. Proverbs chapter 4, we've kind of stepped into a father-son conversation. The father's talking to his son about life. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20, he says, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Young man, put God's word in your heart. That's what you need to do, son. Get God's word in your heart. Your heart is a broken compass. It's blind. It's deceitful. Get God's word into your heart. Listen to my commands. This fatherly conversation is God's conversation to his children on every chapter and every page. This is what went wrong in the Garden of Eden. Satan comes along. Did not God say this? And it worked. <laughs> this was the instruction to Adam and Eve, to the, to the king. The king was supposed to have his own personal copy of God's word. How do we keep our hearts guarded and safe? Psalm 119 says, With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Why am I sinning? Why am I stumbling? Why am I so fragile? 
The way we are commanded to keep our hearts is to inject, to, to download, to input, to store up God's word as a treasure in our hearts. Fill our hearts with God's word. This is ultimately the aim of the command of the Shema in, De- in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6 has a passage you might well know. God is instructing Israel to put his word, his laws, on the doorpost, on their front fence, on their walls, wear it on their wrists, put it in front of their eyes, on their face. Talk about it when you go to bed. Talk about it when you go to sleep. Talk about it when you're walking down the road. Why? Because God just loves Christians doing Bible study. No. God's never been impressed with any of your Bible studies. He's never been in a Bible study and been like, John is insightful. Wow. Never once. The, that's not the goal. The goal is keep putting God's Word in front of you so that it gets into your heart. It used to make my blood cringe a little bit to see Lifeway, for example, sell gold-inladen passages of Scripture in frames that, to the tune of four, five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars sometimes to be put on the wall. Oh, that's wonderful. I mean, that's, that's actually really good. We should put Scripture up. How many homes have I been in when Scripture is on the wall but not in the heart? The whole point of the Shema is Deuteronomy chapter 6. These commands to put them around your house and everywhere you go is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. I need to be in there. Be vigilant in putting God's word in your heart. That may not mean do more Bible studies. That may just mean when you do your devotion that you are already doing, when you go to your life group that you're already going to, just know the goal is not to go have a good Bible study and everyone be impressed with each other's ideas. The goal is for me to leave going, oh, I see how that connects to my heart. I see my sin in my heart. Yeah, I want to get rid of that. God help that go away in my heart. That's the goal. Vigilance number two. Keep watching for even small sins which may cost you greatly. Keep watching for even small sins which may cost you greatly. We tend to love the fact that we're not like other people. But remember, Solomon had everything, and Solomon didn't really commit a, a small sin. 700 foreign wives. Um, that's not really a small sin. But it was this one thing in his heart, this one sin, this love and affection for women outside of Israel who led his heart to worship their gods, which cost Solomon and Israel the kingdom. It was just that one thing. And I would just urge you to keep vigilance about the small things that you think might never grow up to be big things. 
Otherwise, we become like children who say, Dad, I want a puppy. And then two years later, it's a hundred-pound dog that sleeps on your bed. Small things can cost you greatly. It was reported this week, for example, that a man named Aditya Verma, I think that's how you might say his name. It's, this is public. This is, this is online. This is for the whole world to read now. He was going on vacation to Spain with some friends flying the airline uh, EasyJet. And the BBC reports that as he was getting on the plane, he posted on Snapchat, I'm on my way to blow up the plane, parentheses, I'm a member of Taliban, parentheses. This was his idea of a really funny joke with his friends. A few hours later, there are two F-18s flying above Spain next to their airliner. And just a few weeks ago, he was in court before a judge who we believe is going to ask him to pay $130,000 because that's how much it costs to scramble two F-18s for a few moments. Can you even believe this stuff? Don't think about little sins as little sins. Don't do it. Don't let yourself categorize sin. It gets people in trouble in the Bible all the time. Device number three of Thomas Brooks 37 says that Satan loves to lessen sins. Ah, Satan says... It is but a little pride, a little worldliness, a, a little uncleanness, a little drunkenness, etc. As Lot said, it's but a little one. Alas, says Satan, it is but a very little sin that you stick to. You may commit to it without any danger to your soul. It is but a little one. You may commit to it, and yet your soul shall live. Well, Thomas Brooks has seven remedies for this device. But one is this, first, solely consider that those sins which, are apt, which we are apt to account as small have brought about men the greatest wrath of God as the eating of an apple, gathering a few sticks on the Sabbath. Numbers chapter 15, if you'd like to read that later, gathering a few sticks on the Sabbath or accidentally touching the ark cost Uzziah his life. Watch even the small sins. They may cost you great. Vigilance number three, watch how every sin wants your heart. Watch how every sin wants your heart. Every temptation wants your heart. You look at Solomon with his wives. It was never only about him marrying outside Israel. The whole point was behind those women for Solomon and his affection for them were their gods. And those gods don't like to stay outside. Those gods don't like to stay outside Jerusalem. Don't we hate it when people marry just for the money? I mean, that's, that's, that's my problem. I just, I wonder what Colette wanted in me sometimes, and it was clearly the money. 
Sin wants your heart. It doesn't care about you. Satan does not care about you. Sin's promises you things, but it just wants to get your heart away from God. God said to Solomon very clearly, these wives will turn your heart away. So what does Solomon do? He married 700 of them. Eventually his wives began to say, why don't don't you come worship with us? Why don't you go hear about Molech? Why don't you go honor my God? That worship never stays out there. Go with me, for example, to 2 Kings chapter 21. 2 Kings chapter 21. Many kings later, same idols, same foreign gods, only now... Something very gross is about to happen. And honestly, a kind of grossness, if we were to dig into it some that you, I'm not even sure I could mention from the pulpit. Second Kings 21, and he, this is Manasseh, king of Israel. He burned his son as an offering and used fortune telling and omens and dealt with mediums Fortune tellers, necromancers. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Here we are again, same mode. Only look what he does now. He does now. And the carved image of Asherah that he had made, he set in the house of the Lord, which the Lord said to David and to Solomon his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. This is a parable of sin. It does not want to stay out there where you can go visit it whenever you want to and somehow your heart will stay safe. No. It wants in. Be vigilant. It wants your heart Sin, Satan, seek to devour you. That's what it wants. It wants to get your heart off the Lord. Vigilance number four. Be vigilant in caring for one another's hearts. Be vigilant in caring for one another's hearts. Friends, that's what we're doing here as a church. This is what makes us different from how we relate to every other Christian all over the earth. I'm united to every other Christian all over the earth. I love every Christian all over the earth. I'm going to be with every other Christian in Christ all over the earth. We have the same king. We both have new hearts from Christ. But I want to encourage you to be vigilant and caring for one another's hearts in your church. And how we do this might be one of the least intuitive. <laughs> because in order to guard your heart... In and among the people of God, you have to expose it. That's counterintuitive. When we think about guarding and protecting, we think about never let anyone see my heart. Never let anyone know my heart. Never let anyone see me or know me. Would, that would be the worst. Never let that happen. 
And it's the exact opposite. The most unsafe heart is the most, un- the most isolated and unknown heart. That's the least guarded heart. The isolated, unknown, secret, protected heart. If you want to, you can live your entire life. You can live your entire life. No one will ever even know you. You know how possible that is? Do you know how possible that is? The Bible is calling to be vigilant and caring for one another's hearts. Your heart's going to have to be cared for by others. Our job is to care for one another's hearts. Let me just encourage you. When you get together with a life group, when you get together for discipleship, think about the heart. Think about one another's hearts. How's your heart doing? Okay, that happened. How are you responding to that in your heart? That is so frustrating. That's the worst. I I understand. I don't think that's going to change. What can your heart do about that? What might God do about that? How does your heart need to change in that situation with your spouse or your children or your work or your money? When you are working out a situation with someone and you are in a relationship and discipleship with them, be honest about what is in your heart. Ask one another about what is in your heart. Deal with that. Or else you will have an external relationship. No one will ever know you. And they can't help you with your heart. Let me, let me just encourage you. If you have people that are caring for your heart to the point that you have been annoyed or hurt or frustrated, thank God. Thank God. One of the worst damnations the Lord could give us would to be... Old Testament, just leave us in our hearts the way they are. How sad. If you're frustrated and annoyed at people wanting to know you and ask you questions about what's going on in your life, praise God. Praise God. Look for that. Want that. If you are not in a discipleship relationship, church, guest, You are not in a relationship where you are reading the Bible and praying and you are talking with someone and your heart is coming out. You need to do that. You need to do that. Your heart is in danger if you are not doing that. God called his people to be vigilant about one another's hearts, not just their own. Look in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 18. Deuteronomy 29, verse 18. Just a few chapters left before God is about to send Israel out without Moses. And here's some of Moses' last words in history, as it were. From the Lord, Deuteronomy 28, 19, Beware lest there be any among you a man or a woman or a clan or tribe whose heart is turning away from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of other nations. That is a corporate command to make sure that you, plural, are all doing okay. Beware lest there be among you You watch out among everyone else to make sure that there is no root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit 
one who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, when he hears God's word and blesses himself in his heart. Did you hear this? <laughs> he hears the covenant and he says, mm, I'm good. I'm just good. Yeah. I bless myself in my heart. I... Saying falsely and wrongly, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. Whose responsibility is your heart? It's one another in the truth. You are so frustrated with the hearts around you, guess what? They're partly your responsibility. (laughs) Hebrews quotes this passage in 12 verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. As a corporate command to the corporate church, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness that is in your heart springs up. One of the focus that we have this year, we'll talk about again tonight in our members' meeting, is that of discipleship. Are you doing that? Are you known? Are you walking with someone, perhaps on various levels, where you know them and they know you? Be vigilant about your heart by being vigilant about each other's hearts. In conclusion, there are a lot of things going on in the world, guys. There's a lot going on. A lot of things in our country, a lot of things in our homes, a lot of things in our marriages, a lot of things in our finances, a lot of things are changing, a lot of things... In our church, presidential elections bearing upon us. Watch your heart in that. Sin is crouching at the door every way, tempting you to sin in all kinds of ways. Watch your heart. Your church is changing. By the way, your church is always changing. Watch your heart in that. Watch one another's heart in that. You find yourself being really rich financially? Watch your heart. Poor? Watch your heart. Things are going really, really well for you, like Solomon. You just feel like it's all coming together. Watch your heart. Nothing's, nothing's going right. I mean, I just, every day, it's all falling apart. Watch your heart. Watch your heart. Never grow too old, never grow too mature to hear these words. Keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life thank god for jesus christ a king for new hearts in him might we be vigilant to keep watch over our hearts let's pray Thank you, Father, for your kindness to us in Jesus Christ. We have rebelled and hardened our hearts against you. But having come to Christ, we have new hearts. And we pray that there might be here some today who hear the words that have been preached and realize they're in trouble. And we confess and repent believe in their hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he has risen from the grave after paying for their sins 
And that today they would leave with new hearts that trust Christ, that believe in you and see that your truth is truth in the world. And we pray for our church that as we endeavor to grow and to make disciples for your joy, for our joy, God, and for your glory, that we'll be careful to watch over one another's hearts. And that we'll be vigilant in our own lives. Father, if there are any grievous ways now, we pray right now that you would take this time and search our hearts. Even if we think that we are all right, we pray right now that you would search our hearts and see if there's any grievous way in us. And would you show us right now if there's any pride or any anger, jealousy, lust, help us name it in our hearts, pride, Are we filled with hate and anger? Self-righteousness? Do you see blaming others in the world, neglecting our own hearts? God, do you see us just constantly blaming the world and forgetting our own responsibility in our own hearts? Do you see us love money too much, wrongly? Father, reveal our hearts to us and help us confess our sin. Thank you for the cross, for this forgiveness. I pray that you help us watch over our heart in these things as we walk together with one another. Father, we love you. We pray this together in Christ's name. Amen.